Hi everyone, welcome back to It's the Daily Grind podcast. You are in for a treat today. We have none other than Mike Nielsen. He is the Gonzaga women's basketball strength and conditioning coach, mental performance coach, nutrition coach. He also has a podcast called Hoop Commitment, where he interviews some of the greatest minds in basketball and gives tips for improving nutrition, commitment, and so much more. Definitely go check it out. It's a really good listen. But for now, you get to enjoy him on my podcast. Make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at It's the Daily Grind Podcast. jump right in love it the question of the pod what season are you in right now i'm in a great season i have three kids who they're all at home they're at fun ages um just got back from south carolina with my 13 year old son and it's just so awesome to have your kids like the stuff that you like and be able to go alongside them and we have cool conversations and my wife and i are having a lot of fun and so life is always better when uh, we're getting along. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just a great stage. Um, I think a lot of different times in my life I wanted something to, like, I can't wait till this happens or that happens. Or you have a great experience and you wish you could kind of go back and relive it. And it's really nice to say, I don't, I just want to press pause right now. Like, I just, I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I can't relate to being in that season quite yet because I'm always looking at, okay, what's next? But it seems like you're able to make a difference. You have your own podcast, Hoop Commitment. Talk to me a little bit about just commitment. Like, what does commitment mean to you? What is the importance of commitment? And what's the difference between commitment and goals? Well, that difference between a goal and a commitment changed my life. I had someone tell me a goal is something that you want to do and a commitment is something that you have to do. And when I heard that, it just clicked because I'd always been drawn to commitments. I love the idea of, you know, making your mind up and committing to something. And then when it kind of falls apart, when you hit the dip, when it gets challenging to have that mental toughness to stick through it. And I love setting goals when I was younger, but the hard part about goals is when you write them down and you're so excited about them and then it doesn't happen, sometimes you're like, eh, you kind of feel like you're lying to yourself. And so I think that's when you say a goal is something that you want to do. And we all need things that we want to do. My favorite example of a goal is um, I, I have three younger brothers, and our favorite movie is uh, Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> and so when we were kids, you know, like the first five times you watch it, like this is so stupid. But then after about 50 times, like it's so quotable, we love it. Well, 20 years later, they came out with Dumb and Dumber 2. And we were so excited. We were all going to get the same candy from 7-Eleven, go to the theater and watch it. And the night we were supposed to go, my brother's son got sick. And so we had to reschedule. And then I had to work late. And next thing you know, we're all at our houses by ourselves watching it independently. And it was something that we wanted to do. And what I found out is that I want is usually not strong enough to ensure your success. And that's why you need a commitment. And so really everything in my life that's truly important is a commitment. 
And not like, oh, I guess I have to, like, but no, this is so important that there's no way I can fail. And someone asked me, yeah, but what happens when you do fail? And I'm like, I won't, you know, like I've made a commitment to my wife. It's not a goal to be faithful to her. It's a commitment. Mm -hmm. And so the thought of, yeah, but what happens if you're not faithful to her? There's, that's not an option, you know? And so for the last eight or nine years now, it's been really fun. I've been picking one area that's really important to me that I want to dig deeper into. And then I find what I would consider the, you know, the, the world leader in that area. And I make a commitment to study that area and that person for 15 minutes a day, 365 days out of the year. And it's been really fun because I got this idea from Jerry Seinfeld and he makes a commitment to write one joke a day. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how powerful is that? You know, like to write one joke is pretty easy doesn't take much and you can see how over the course of a year you have 365 jokes it's just that idea of that accumulation of work mm -hmm. and what's been really fun is I have thousands of X's in a row and so there's no way I can fail now right. so yeah it's just been a, a game changer some years I've done nutrition strength conditioning um, Buddhism uh, this year I'm doing singing, so I'm taking online uh, vocal classes from Berklee School of Music, and you know, you get to be really good at something, you're not going to be as good as, I'm studying Alan Stone this year, he's my favorite singer. Mm -hmm. I won't sing like Alan Stone, but I'll be a lot better than when I started the year, and so that's just been fun for me, and then also fun for my kids, because as a young age, I'm teaching them about commitment. Mm -hmm. Everyone always says, oh, you play guitar, I wish I could play guitar, and I'm like, there's no wishing. Yeah, like, why don't you? You just pick it up and you do it. Right. And so I think I might have mentioned to you that my son and I, we went to uh, to L.A. in the forum and we went and watched John Mayer play his solo tour. It was so fun. That was just last month. And we talk about the season of life. Our favorite song, or one of our favorite songs is Stop This Train. Hmm. And John Mayer talks about you know, his parents getting older and it's really hard to think about you know losing them. And he just wants to stop the train. And so, so powerful. I was next to my son and I want to stop the train, mm -hmm. you know, and the lesson of the song is basically you can't, don't try it, you know, just enjoy the moment. And so that was really special. And my little son, you know, he's 13, but he understands commitment. This little kid is a great guitar player, not because he practices for 10 hours a day, but be, he practices 5, 10, 15 minutes every day. Mm -hmm. And that accumulation of work since he was in fourth grade and now he's, He's a great little guitarist. Mm -hmm. So would you say that if you're going to make a commitment, it has to be something in your control and then that way you can't fail? Like, because there's a lot of times where in the example of being faithful, like that's something entirely within your control. So when people ask, well, what if you don't? Of course, like if you don't, it's on you and solely on you. So I guess is commitment limited to the things that you can control or is commitment something where you're making a commitment, but you have to rely on these outside factors for success. Maybe elaborate on that because I think some people might be thinking, well, I'm trying to make this commitment, but is a commitment really something only I can control? Well, I think that's where the goals come in. The goals are the dreams. I want to make the NBA. That's not a commitment. That's a goal. That's a big, you know, hairy, audacious thing that you want to do. And the commitment comes into where you say, well, what are you, what are you going to do every single day towards this attainment? And so my little son, he's a dreamer, and he will make the NBA. 
because he told me he's going to make the NBA. Mm -hmm. And I believe him. He has a little thing on his bathroom mirror and his uh, bedroom wall. And it's an affirmation he reads every morning when he wakes up in the morning. And every night before he goes to bed, he reads this. And he says, by December of, I can't remember the, the date, I think it's like 2032, <laughs> he will play in his first NBA game. Wow. And he talks about in this little affirmation what he's going to give up for that, what he's going to do for his body, for his mind, and his spirit every single day. And that's how he starts his morning is, it's not a goal to lift weights. It's a commitment. Mm -hmm. That is something that you have in your control. You know, I was studying uh, human movement. I was studying uh, soft tissue that year. I had my heart surgery. And I had to be at the hospital at 6 a.m. for check-in. And I got up early and to do my studying. And my wife's like, you're not going to study today. And I'm like, you know me better than this. This is not a goal to study. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm going to make sure not only did I have a plan for that I had open heart surgery, but I had a plan for the next couple of days when I was sedated and I just was laying in bed. I couldn't do anything. I knew my plan. I made a commitment to study Lenny Parasino's principles. And I, was, I had the 10 observation essentials that I was going to go through in my mind over and over again. And I was only in and out of consciousness for that first 24, 48 hours. And so I'd wake up and I could commit to doing a minute or five minutes. And so I think dreams are so good and want to is awesome. You know, like, yes, I want to get a scholarship. I want to be all league. Those are things that are the destination. And then the commitment is the process that you have 100% control over. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm studying singing this year. And when you're on the road, it's really difficult. You're in a hotel room with your son and his <laughs> friends. But I made a commitment. Mm -hmm. It's not, I'm going to try and sing on the road. And so I drop them off at the game a little early and I stay in the car sing or I would go, hey, I'll pick up, I'll pick up Chipotle. I go and you just find a way to make it happen. And most days I do want to. Mm -hmm. But out of the course of a year, there is definitely some days where it's, I, I wouldn't do it if I, if I just wanted to. Mm -hmm. I have to mm -hmm. because I just know the power of accumulating work. And then when you do that, and now I have guitar forever. I, right. I, I have that skill and when I'm hear a song on the radio that I'm excited about, I have the freedom to play it because I put the work in. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of that, the math equation, if you do 1% better every day, you will get better. But if you are 1% worse every day, or only 99%, you will actually get exponentially worse. And that was such a powerful thing to look at for me and say, there's something about being 1% better. You hear that and that makes sense, right? Over time, you will get better. But the flip side of that is 1% worse and you will be way worse off because of it. You can't just maintain. And I've since I've heard that story, which I think you told us my freshman year, so four years ago, I have implemented that in my life and it made me change my perspective on I don't have to make huge commitments. I don't have to revamp my life and prioritize things for hours and hours on day, like a day. I just simply have to do five minutes. So if it's, I want to really read this book, okay, I'm going to listen to it for five minutes a day. And then most days I actually want to listen to it more, but it's just turning on my phone and pushing play. And then I'm like, okay, I'm already here. I've done five minutes. That went really fast. I guess I'll do another five. And I think if you're living your life 
trying to utilize every minute of every day and not just let time pass you by not utilize that time it changes your life whether you're doing a commitment or whether you're just being intentional in the time it has changed my life anyway and that's what i wanted to ask you about presence and your son he has this date it's so far in the future and i'm sure i mean if he didn't this would be pretty miraculous but i'm sure he's has this fear that maybe he won't actually accomplish this and maybe he brings this up like well is this enough am i doing enough and Maybe he doesn't have that, but I definitely have that. Looking into the future and being like, okay, well, I am committed each and every day, but is it enough? Or am I really going to put in all this work for nothing? And so how do you stay present in the moment and just trust that what you're doing in the here and now is enough? Or how do you tell your son what tactics do you give him to stay present so he's not constantly living for a moment that's, you know, 10 years down the road from now? Yeah, such great questions. And I think, you know, like, is my son nervous that he's not going to make the NBA? And I think the framework that we're given at a young age is so powerful and it's hard to break. Mm -hmm. And really only your personal experience probably can break it. And so for him, his framework that he's seen is you can do anything and be anything you want to be with hard work. Hmm. And so that's been the framework he's seen since he's a kid. And then his life experiences show it. Hmm. And it was so cute. We were, um, he's always been a decent basketball player for his age, but he always played it great up. So he's one of the worst kids on the team. And I always just told him, hey, put the work in. Of course, of course the kids don't pass you the ball because you can't catch it yet, but we're going to go home and work on catching the ball. And he got to be a good little basketball player. And then we played baseball. And once again, all those friends are a year older, so he goes to baseball practice, and the two young kids on the team are my son and his best friend. And I pick him up from baseball practice, they're in the back seat, we're driving home, and I heard his little friend Noah say, hey, did you hear what this kid said about us? And Carter said, no. He said, this kid said that we're the two worst kids on the team. And I'm just waiting to hear how Carter's gonna respond, and he's probably in fourth grade at the time. He said, well, of course we are, we haven't practiced much. And I'm like, man, I love this kid. Yeah. And he's just seen, you want to get good at guitar? You just make it through the dip. You want to get good at singing? You make it through the dip and you put work in. Anyone can be a good guitar player. Anyone can be a great basketball player. And so we've had those conversations. You know, he wanted to write this uh, affirmation. How do you feel about it? And he's like, well, Dad, of course I'm going to do it. Mm. If you're trying to tell me right now if every day I work on my physical body through eating well, through getting good quality sleep, and doing strength conditioning and sports performance training every single day from now to the time I graduate college, and you're telling me every single day I work on my skill training, and I have professional skill trainers working with me, I play with John Stockton and all the guys that are better than me, and I put in countless hours by myself working my game, and you're trying to tell me if my mindset's not good, you know, he sees a mental performance consultant, mm -hmm. if, I'm not, if I'm working with Brandon Davis, and I'm reading books and studying and I'm working on enjoying the process. You're trying to tell me if I don't do that every day, I'm not going to be able to do this. And what we talk about is it's never about the destination because who knows what happens. It's about the process. And so singing is a great example. I was so confident with guitar because um, I play guitar for a lot of years and I committed to, uh, to guitar last year and I want to play like John Mayer. Now, a professional guitarist that has an incredible ear can hear me play John Mayer and hear John Mayer's play and say, 
that's John Mayer, that's someone else. But any person here on campus that just likes music will be like, I can't tell the difference. Mm. And so guitar is great because you can buy a really nice instrument, you buy a nice amp, mm-hmm. and you can sound like John Mayer. Singing's interesting because no matter how much I practice, I'm Mike Nelson. Yeah. I'm not Alan Stone. So it's not about being someone else. It's about me being the best person I can be. And so at the end of the year, it's not like I failed. I'm not Alan Stone. Well, that was never the point. Mm-hmm. The point is I love singing. And I love it enough to be able to, to put in the hard work. And when it gets uncomfortable, I mean, I did voice lessons yesterday with my vocal coach. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> my voice is cracking. I, you know, all the advice I give my, to my little uh, fourth graders that I coach basketball in about, hey, who cares if you missed a shot? Who ca- of course you look silly. You fell down. Get back up. All of that goes out the window when I'm having voice. <laughs> right, right. I'm so embarrassed. But, you know, it's, it is about the process. And it is about being present in I was lucky enough, about seven years ago, I studied a guy named Thich Nhat Hanh. And unfortunately, he just passed away last year. He was a, a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. And this dude has the most loving philosophy on life. I, I, everything, you know, I, I like to study people. And everyone's human. And so most people I study, I, I really like 80% of what they say. I don't agree with 20. Some people, I'm like, I, 90%. This Thich Nhat Hanh, I've never read, and he's written over 50 books, I've never read a word that did not ring true to me. It's just oh. so awesome. And his whole idea is now. Hmm. Now is the only time we have. And of course, I can plan for the future as long as I'm right now here in the moment. And so that's just been a huge influence on my life and something I pass along to my kids, which is it's not about making an MBA. It's about me picking you up today from school at 4 o'clock and we're going to go work out together. That's fun. And of course it's going to burn. It might make you sore and you might miss shots and get frustrated. But man, how fun is that we get to do it together? How fun is it we get to be in South Carolina with your friends playing against kids from Texas and California? You know, and I think if you can take that approach of like, man, how lucky are we? We're mm-hmm. doing this. And then if you don't make the NBA, if you don't make your high school team, if you don't, who cares? It was never about that. It was about the process. Right. And so, you know, easier said than done on some days, but I think you just go back to that framework that you give to the kids, and this is the truth. Mm-hmm. And then there's nothing I've ever seen to contradict the truth. I've never seen anyone live in the past tense and be, <laughs> I've never seen anyone live tomorrow. Yep. I've never seen anyone truly be happy worrying about yesterday or worrying about tomorrow. And so, yeah, the idea is to practice the truth. And I'll never be perfect at it, but definitely get better. Mm -hmm. It's such a beautiful thing that you're training your kids to have that and you're illustrating it yourself. Um, But I I could see where in my own experience, too, because I had a dad very same way. If you put in the work and you work hard and you're committed, how could you not play Division I? you know, which was always my goal and which was always a goal that wasn't very attainable for me. And it was a commitment to putting in the work every day. And I remember countless times that I sacrificed things that at the time seemed so important, like birthday parties or going to the lake. And I had to play tennis with my dad. And I was so lucky to have someone who also made sacrifices for me, for me to achieve, uh, achieve my commitment every day of playing and 
What I found though is even though I had my dad and like your kids have you, it's such a lonely road because many people do not do that. Many people think, well, I would like to sing, you know, like Ariana Grande maybe back in my day, but I I won't. Um, So I'm not going to try. And I found that with my friends when I would say I have to go to tennis, I have to play with my dad, sorry, I can't go, I have to play. They didn't understand and it never really bothered me, but it definitely was a lonely road. So your kids have you and they rely on you and cling to you, but what encouragement do you give your kids or to just people out there that are like, I'm trying to do the hard thing, I'm trying to make a commitment, but it's a lonely road because I don't have community or friends that either hold me accountable to the commitment or encourage me to do that. Instead, they're pulling me away like, oh, come out with us. Why do you have to do that? So what's your advice on that? Yeah, I think there are so many different ways to live. And it's really easy for me to sit on this high horse and say, this is the way we do it. I was lucky I have great parents. And I had a great uh, environment that I lived in. I had great coaches. My kids are so lucky. They have an unbelievable support system with our family and their friends and the Spokane community. And so, um, you know, all I can say is what works for our family. And I realize that people have a really tough, lonely road. And that is one option. You know, that is one way to do it. And that's the road I took a little bit when I was in college. And I think um, a lot of people will say, hey, leadership is lonely at the top. And I think it can be. It doesn't have to be. There's always another option. Uh, one of my friends, his name is Sham Furch, and he's a, a clinical psychologist. He uh, works in the leadership program here, the doctoral program. And he says something I just love. He always says, when there's two philosophies on the table, don't let the crappy one win. Mm-hmm. And so what I tell my kids is, you won't make the NBA, in my opinion, if you're not having fun, if you don't enjoy the process. And so we don't make choices. Hey, well, you want to have fun with your friends or do you want to get good at basketball? We do both. You mm-hmm. know? And so we just always, both is my favorite word. Mm-hmm. What do you think we should do? You know, should we, you know, should we be fiscally responsible or should you go and spend $2,000 on John Mayer tickets? Both. <laughs> well, why not? You know, and so, uh, you know, you have to interview my son, but I picked him up yesterday and I'm going to pick him up today. We're going to go play one-on-one in the gym and... We just love it. Mm-hmm. We love it. And if you're not loving it, we got to change it. Yeah. And so I say that in my, my, my college career here, especially early on, I hated it. And the only reason I didn't quit is because I called my parents to quit and they said, no, you don't do it. One, one more year. You know? mm-hmm. and I, didn't want, I just didn't want to let them down. I prayed that I would get injured so I didn't have to go to practice and I could end my career and not have to quit. But and so I, I did not live this when I was younger, but I live it now. Hmm. And I think that's what's important is since my kids have been alive, they see me live it. Every Sunday for 18 years, I go play basketball at John Stockton and a bunch of professional basketball players. And on the way down to the gym, I'm working on my mental performance. And I'll ask my son Carter on the way down, you know, like, hey, what are you working on? Okay, this is what I'm working on. Oh, we'll finish playing. Hey, you saw my game today. What do you think would be really helpful for me to work on? Mm-hmm. And so it's not me telling him what to do. It's him watching me try and be my best because I love basketball. Mm-hmm. And I love being physical fit. And there's 
you know, to me, it's not an option. We only get one body. Mm -hmm. And so learn how to take care of it because you can either be in pain for an hour playing basketball and sore, or you could be in pain for your whole life from being inactive. And so I definitely respect that and understand there are people that come from tough backgrounds and are in tough situations and hope is really important for them. I do think for our family, and I think for a lot of people, there is another option, Mm -hmm. which is you don't need hope when you're in the present moment. Yep. Because we have, like this moment right now, for sure, I know hearing about your uh, journey, there's, it's been a tough season. Mm -hmm. But right now in this moment, how lucky are we? Right. We're sitting here on Gonzaga's campus, learning from each other, hearing each other's stories. We're in Jays. We're in our Jays today, the ones. It's 85 and, and sunny outside. Life is good. Well, there's nothing wrong with this moment. Mm-hmm. Now, there might be something wrong when we leave this and you got to do homework or study. And But with this moment, there is only stuff to be grateful for. And once again, I don't have this philosophy. I don't live it all the time. I understand it, and I work towards attainment all the time. Mm-hmm. This is something I really want to get good at. Because what's the alternative? What's the truth? And that is the truth. The truth is, right now, is a perfect moment. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Now, we can say, well, gosh, you know, i got to pick up my car from the, from the mechanics, and it's going to cost me money. That, that's later. Mm-hmm. Right now, in this moment, is so good. And so... I think, um, yeah, my kids are normal kids. They have good days and bad days, but they understand that is the truth. And so, yeah, I just, I love that idea of it doesn't have to be lonely. Mm-hmm. Man, we, any opportunity has to be with his friends, he does it. And we skip stuff. Hey, Dad, I know you said we got Sunday hoops, but I have an opportunity to go to the cabin with my friends. Go to the cabin with your friends. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll get shots up before. We'll get shots up tomorrow. Like, You know, the most important thing is to seize the day. I really believe that. Yeah. And you're right. When you're making a commitment, and maybe the commitment is not something that's fun, for instance, but the commitment will lead to something fun or within the commitment, you're finding joy. Like maybe you don't like to run, but you know that if you run, you're going to be better at basketball and you love basketball. And if you can always tie it back to something you have a deep, deep love for, then I really do think, lonely or not, friends or not, it will fuel you to keep going and it will be enough. You won't need anyone else by your side cheering you on. Um, Though, hopefully you can go out of your way and find those people and find a parent or find a friend that will hold you accountable and will encourage you in that process. But my favorite quote, you mentioned this, is pain of discipline or pain of regret. And We have a backboard in our garage. I mean, in Montana, the winters get really cold. And so we were lucky enough to have a court outside. But then for wintertime, we put a big backboard in one of the bays of our garage. And on the top, it says pain of discipline or pain of regret. And one pain lasts a lot longer. And that's the pain of regret. Like you said, years of What if I just took some time every day to sing? Or what if I took some time every day to play guitar? And everyone has the time. That's the other thing. Everyone has the time. 
no one should say, I don't have time to do that. Because you have five days you're on your phone, or five minutes a day you're scrolling through your phone, or you have five minutes a day you're staring off into space, whatever it is, you have the time. And just loving yourself enough and loving your passions enough to make that commitment, I think is really the first step in life-changing opportunities for you. I love that quote. And I think what's challenging is, I don't know if this philosophy works for everyone and everything. I know I know for sure it works for me because I've done it and I'm living it and I've seen it in my kids and my family. But we choose things that we, we do want to make a commitment to. I don't know how this would work if you said, man, I want to, I'm going to make a commitment to, you know, shovel dog crap every day. <laughs> there's no meaning in it to you. Just doing it because yeah. you have to do it. I could see where that would be lonely and there's it's painful. I'm studying Alan Stone. I get to listen to his music every day. I'm going to go to this family festival. I'm, you know, I'm, I get to practice singing. Mm-hmm. And so for sure, even then, something I'm excited about doing. Um, yeah, there's days where my voice might hurt, you know, or I'm... Uh, stressed about work or something something's making me feel like I can't be present and you know I'm still going to do it but I, I'm really excited about the, the idea of in a year I'm going to be able to sing the song or whatever you know with my son with Carter if basketball is that painful I say well, let's find something else mm-hmm. you know like my daughter loves dance she was in Seattle last week with my wife for a dance workshop and you cannot stop this little 13 year old from dancing it's like she comes home from three hours of dance and then she's dancing while we're at dinner and she wants to show us that she just loves it and it's the same process of being good at dance as it is at being good at basketball and it was really sad as my wife said that she kept getting woken up in this hotel room in seattle because the mother and daughter next door she was like it was like dance moms the the tv show <laughs> they were screaming at each other saying i hate you you're such an effing And Rihanna's like, she could hear it through the hotel Mm -hmm. wall. And I'm like, how sad is that? Because I'm sure this family really wants their daughter to be good at dance and thinks that's the way. It's lonely and it's tough and it's intense. And if you want to be the best, you have to take it serious. And that is one way to do it. Or you could do it like the way my wife and my daughter do do it, which is, how fun is this? Mm -hmm. Girls Weekend in Seattle. Right. And we're going to eat at the restaurants that we like. And we're going to learn this. And of course you're not going to be the best. You're 13. That's why we're here, you know. Like, But look how much better you got. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, you're so sore. Oh, we're so tired. We're going to crawl in bed. Bed's going to feel so good tonight. And it's the same dance workshop. But one is going to be this awesome experience I can't wait to do the next year. And the other one is this one that wedges, uh, you know, that puts this wedge between family members. Mm-hmm. And so... I, yeah, I think there are times to be able to do things that you just don't see value or meaning in. You maybe that's just the way you support your family with a job. But most of the people I talk to, they want to get good at soccer or basketball or music or dance. And to me, I think, man, enjoy the process. It, to me, it's the only way you'd want to do it. You know, I've mm-hmm. owned a sports performance clinic for 18 years as well, and we've seen a lot of kids come through the door, spend a lot of money to get faster, stronger, quicker. And it's really sad to see some of the philosophies of parents, which is, well, you're not gonna play basketball your senior year in high school? Well, then we just wasted all this time and effort. And I'm like, oh, are you serious? 
if I'm going to South Carolina so my son can be a good high school basketball player and if he quits his senior year, we wasted money, I'm like, we're missing the whole boat. He loves basketball mm-hmm. and I get to be with him on an airplane and and we got a, we had a, a layover that went from one hour to three hours to now it's one in the morning. We had to stay in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And man, we had so much fun. The next day, we went to the guitar center and pre- played a seven thousand dollar guitar. We went to the Mall of America, and I'm like, that's why we went to South Carolina, not so he can make the varsity team or even play in the NBA. Now, of course, that is his goal that he wants to do, but we better enjoy the process working towards his attainment. Mm-hmm. Let's pivot back to a time when maybe you weren't as in love with <laughs> basketball, and. Yeah. I guess, was that the hardest season um, of your life? And this podcast is kind of about hard seasons and everything's great when we're committed and we're loving what we're doing and it's so fun. It might be hard in the moment, but we love it. But it can get tough when you're in a very hard season to keep grinding, to keep persevering, to not give up on yourself, to not give up on those around you. So Share a little bit about that experience. Maybe why were you in that place, that headspace in the first place, and how did you find your way out of it? I think, you know, if you have a roadmap and you know where you're going, it doesn't mean a journey is going to be easy or fun all the time. But it's really bad when you have a roadmap and you're going in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. When you're reading the map wrong yep. and you think you, <laughs> you're headed north and you're going south. <laughs> and that's how I felt about basketball when I was younger, which is I had the wrong roadmap. I had the wrong framework, uh, the, the wrong outlook on how to really truly be successful in something. And when I was younger, I loved basketball, but there was a lot of fear of failure and a lot of um, worried people might discover I was a fraud and not as good as everyone said I was. And my family is unbelievable. My parents think I'm Michael Jordan. They think I'm John Mayer. Anything I do, I can't do anything wrong. And I grew up in a household where I got so much love and encouragement. And it felt so good and secure. The flip side of that is it also made me... um, It it, it didn't make me, but I think I just... That kind of encouragement... I was afraid to let them down. And so I was afraid to take the shot because what if I missed the shot? Mm-hmm. Then they might realize I'm not perfect. Mm. And I had a, just a huge fear of being exposed. And I came here as a walk-on, and that was one of the toughest here at Gonzaga. It was one of the toughest things I ever did. And I had this dream of getting a scholarship, and I thought it was about the scholarship and once again it wasn't about the journey it was about the destination getting the scholarship and have other people be proud of me and when your happiness relies on that is super fragile especially you know the coaching staff we have my freshman year we had a gentleman named dan fitzgerald who was huge personality uh great person but also old school he's gonna his philosophy was kind of Hey, well, if you can't handle my yelling and screaming and put-downs, there's no way you're going to be able to handle 6,000 fans at Santa Clara. And so what he really wanted to be able to do was make us tougher by beating us down. And if we can't make it, well, good, you you were going to fail in the 
critical moment of a game anyhow. And being a walk-on redshirt freshman, you are the lowest of the low. And so that was really challenging for me because I was looking for other people's approval and I was playing for the scholarship and you go to the gym and when you don't get that immediate gratification of getting playing time, having people tell you great job, I was in a dark spot. And so I wanted to quit. Matter of fact, I called my mom. I got in a fight with Coach Munson, who had who was the assistant coach. And when I found out, basically I came to GU assuming I was going to get a scholarship after one year. I came on my recruiting visit. It was like a walk-on recruit visit. And I played out of my mind that day. It was like every shot went in. Every time someone missed the basket, the ball just bounced into my hands. Every time I got beat on defense, I would just swipe at the ball and it like picked it. I mean, I'd, I'd never played so good before. And I'll never forget it was raining that day and Coach Munson walked me out to my car in the rain. And he said, I, wanna, I want you to know, I don't walk out just anyone in the rain. We want you to be a Zag. You come, you walk on for one year. If you play like that, we got a four-year scholarship waiting for you. I was so excited. I flew home. I couldn't wait to tell my parents. And so I came under that assumption. You, you play, play, that, play, work hard, play that well, you're going to get a scholarship. And then I came on campus, and my first week on campus, I didn't realize this, but John Stockton, the legend, trains or trained with our basketball team for the first month before he went to NBA training camp. And I just happened to be on his team for the first, first game. And I'm, I can make a 15-foot jumper, and I can make a layup, and no one's going to outwork me. And if you can make an open shot and you're on John Stockton's team, you're going to think you're Carl Malone. <laughs> so I get on his team, and every game I'm making one or two open jumpers. I'm making one or two layups. I'm diving on the – I'm playing like, you know, like I'm playing for my life, like it's the NBA Finals. And that works well with John because he also plays like his game seven <laughs> in the NBA Finals every single game. I play out of my mind. Next day, first pick, John's picking me. He picked me first every day. And that preseason, I'm like, they're going to ask me not to redshirt. They're going to ask me to start. <laughs> I'm so good. I mean, I'm the best player on the team. Mm-hmm. Coach is calling my parents. My parents call me, hey, Coach Munson said you're even better than they thought. I mean, I just, my confidence was sky high. It felt so good. And then John went to training camp. And I realized I sucked (laughs) because I couldn't create my own shot. Everyone's bigger, faster, stronger. The time he leaves is the time we start practice, and I don't know any of the plays. I've never ran flex in my life. Not only do I don't know how to run the play, I don't know how to guard the play. And they had run this offense as a pattern offense, and there's a counter to every counter. And so I'm playing against a fifth-year senior. He's a really good player named John Kinlock, and he knows every counter, and he just eats my lunch every single day. And the coaches are just MFing me. And I went from the highest to high to the lowest to low. October, November, and December were so tough. And every practice was the hardest day of my life. And then I'll never forget, Coach uh hadn't really talked much about a scholarship. My parents were saying, hey, when are you going to sign the scholarship paper? I'm like, I don't know. They haven't mentioned it. My dad would say, well, go ask the coaches. And so finally, you know, I'd pick his, well, pick, I'd like poke at him a little bit. And 
He said, I'll talk about it later. Finally, he says, hey, we'll talk about it in Seattle when we play UW over Christmas break. It's a perfect time. My dad, hey, we're going to meet at, you know, in Seattle, you know, sign the scholarship paper. So I'm from Seattle. My, drive, my dad drives me from my house uh, to the hotel where the team's staying. I go meet with Coach Munson. And I, I naively think I'm signing my scholarship paper. And he sits me down and says, hey, you know, you've done a good job. You really worked hard, but it's Coach Fitz's last year, and we really need a big to make this team go well. And so, and I don't even know what he said after that. I was just trying not to cry. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking through the lobby, and my team's getting ready for practice, and I just remember looking at them thinking, oh, they know I suck. Like, the joke's on me. Like, everyone knows I'm not good enough and everyone knows I don't belong and I just felt like I was the butt of the joke and I just found out and walk out to the car and I just, my dad's like how'd it go you know and I just start crying I'm like just drive I was gonna quit there I'm like take me home and my parents are the best they're like no you know my dad just teed it up for me he's like you're gonna walk into that practice with your head high you're gonna lace up your shoes and you're gonna play your ass off and you're gonna show them why you deserve to be a zag you know and I think my teammates must have saw me crying when I walked out. I walked in the gym. I don't know if they knew about the scholarship or not. They, they might have, you know, that I didn't get it at that point. But I remember walking into practice, and I was, like, just barely holding it together. And everyone was, all my teammates were just there for me, just high-fiving me, just, you know, saying they got me without even saying a word, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but from then on, it was a tough spiral. It was just challenging, you know. I just, I didn't enjoy the process. I, I associated the gym with failure and that was really tough for me by the time I was a junior you know then I broke broken in the starting lineup a little bit even my sophomore year and my senior year I would had a pretty good senior year but it wasn't the same and it wasn't until after I finished my playing career that I did a lot of studying and a lot of practice because you study Thich Nhat Hanh and it's one thing to read it on the paper but you know mindfulness and being present is a skill just like playing guitar. And so when I decided when I was 15 that I want to play guitar, like, this is it. I want to play guitar. You don't pick it up and you're not good at it. You suck. You realize how bad you are at it. So when I started reading Thich Nhat Hanh and I was like, this is, this is my truth. This is how I want to live my life. This is how I want to you know, engage with people. Then I realized how much I suck at it. <laughs> and so you just practice. It's mm-hmm. just like playing guitar and you know, you get better over the course of a year, but any given day, you might just not be good. And so, um, yeah, I definitely wish I would have had a, a, a better philosophy and a better roadmap, better reading the roadmap to kind of point me in that right direction earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said in your documentary that being a walk-on really messes with your confidence, and I can resonate with that. And luckily, I had coaches that were super supportive and, you know, didn't treat me any differently because I was or was not on scholarship and what really got me through and just helped me to keep showing up to practice was really not making it about myself anymore Mm -hmm. was just saying well I might not fulfill my dreams whatever those looked like at the time and those have changed over the course of four years but these girls out here need me these girls out here need a cheerleader that really has their best interest in mind, not someone who's, you know, vying for their downfall so she gets a chance or 
like these girls deserve like they've worked just as hard and they deserve someone who supports them with unconditionally supports them unconditionally and once I realized that that could be the difference I made on the team I was much 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 happier and I had nervousness going into college like what are my teammates going to think of me and once I realized just do it just be good enough like just be good enough you don't need a check to validate you're good enough and good enough for me for a long time looked like my role on the team and how well I did my role. And over time, that role has changed. And over time, my goals strictly to do with tennis have changed. And once I just decided it wasn't about me anymore, it really helped me keep showing up. And I've had some of those moments where you feel like something happened where you're just trying not to cry and you need to go into practice and you need to put on your shoes and put up your hair and and once I just decided that I'm out here for these these people and these girls need me at my best today it took pressure off to be my best for me because I wasn't good enough no matter how hard I tried I was not good enough for me and once I decided I'm going to be good enough for them then I was able to really make a difference on the team and walk away feeling like no matter how many minutes, matches, whatever I got to play, I did my job on this team and I'm leaving the legacy I want to leave. Kind of on brand with the podcast, the daily grind and kind of what it takes for you to get through the daily grind. So in that season, after you found out you weren't getting a scholarship, initially. What were the things that got you through the daily grind then? Well, I want to say that's just a a great example of two philosophies on the table. And there are endless philosophies. There, you know, there's not five or ten. There's thousands of different ways to look at your situation. And one way to look at it is, it's all about me, and this is not working out for me, so this sucks, I hate it. And another way of, another option, another philosophy is, I love my teammates, and I'm going to do this for them. And there's countless others that we can go, but I think that's just a great example of, like, as we're going through these seasons and these tough seasons, that is one truth, that it's really tough and it's hard and you hate it. And there's other ways, there's other philosophies, there's other roadmaps that we can pull out that might be more useful and helpful for you in that moment. And, you know, during that time for me was... I didn't get the scholarship and yeah, I kind of shut down a little bit and that was another time I cried. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, in the weight room and Coach Munson was in there and I was working out with my buddies. Back in the day, this makes me really feel old now, but where the Burroughs weight room is where you work out with MT and Nick, that weight room only had one squat rack and two bench presses for the whole school. That was the whole weight room. There's no uh, Rudolph Fitness Center. Wow. And so just my old buddies, you know, the county majors and, you know, this English majors didn't play sports. We just go work out together. So I'm in there working out. And Coach Munson came in, the head coach, or he was going to be the head coach the next year. And he had caught wind that I was talking with one of our grad assistants. And I had said something like, man, how can they give this one guy, we had one guy on the team that was failing, flunking out of class. 
I'm like, how can they give him a scholarship and not me, you know? Like, that's, that's, I just don't understand it. Well, the assistant coach went and told that to Coach Munson. And so I'm working out with my buddies, and Coach Munson walks in like a bull in a china shop. And he's like, hey, Nelson, I heard you're, you know, complaining about stuff. You know, you don't have those conversations with anyone but me. And then I was like this wild animal caught in a corner with my back against the wall, and I had a couple choices to make. And I chose the one where I just fight back. And I'm like, F you, you know I deserve a scholarship. All this BS you talk about. You know, and I just laid into him. My buddies are there, and I walked out. <laughs> and the minute I leave the weight room, I go from a fast walk to a jog to a sprint all the way back to Desmet. I go, and I'm like crying as I'm running. You know, it's like, I look so tough to my buddies probably. And I get back, you know, calling long distance. Um, I'm transferring, which really meant I'm quitting basketball. You know, I did I just, I want, just get me to a different school and then I won't play. But I got a transfer and my mom talked me off the ledge. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I handled that well. You know, I have great teammates. My teammates were like so supportive. You know, they uh, really celebrated my hustle and my defense. Um, you know, they would openly just celebrate it like, man. I love the way you hustle. You, you know, you're the reason we won that game. And I think for a person like me with a fragile ego at the time and who really cared about what other people thought, I think they really helped me get through. Um, you know, I didn't thrive. I just survived. It was like, make it to practice. Okay, check mark. I made it tonight, <laughs> tomorrow. And so, um, yeah, that was a couple years of kind of doing that. I did have you know, success. By my sophomore year, one of the low points was I finally get on scholarship, and we're playing Michigan State in, at Michigan State in the tournament. And the game before, we play Arkansas Little Rock. My dad flies all the way out to watch me play, and I don't play one second in the game. Oh, man, I was so embarrassed, you know. But the cool thing is I just kept working you know like I was no passion involved in terms of you know like man I love the game but just go in the weight room put the time in if I'm going to be on the court give my all and I went from not playing one second in against Arkansas Little Rock to by the end of season regular season I was the first guy off the bench it was like two minutes into the first half they were subbing me in and then we made it to NIT that year and I got my first career start and so that there was definitely a light at the end of the tunnel and for a person that was more uh, destination oriented versus process oriented you know like results oriented that was a driver for me okay boy i'm starting now and i think that fueled me to where i put more work in in and out of the starting lineup a little bit my junior year and so um you know once again i do not there's, this is one way to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do not recommend this way, but it's the, it's the only way I really knew at the time, which is grind it out, just make it happen. Yeah. You know, just find a way. You know, the coaches are going to MF me, whatever. You know, on to the next one. Mm -hmm. I couldn't wait to get home and be with my girlfriend, who's my wife at the time, or my roommates. I love my roommates, <laughs> man. They were the best. Um, so it's really just a survival situation. And I look back and how would I have changed it? And I don't, I don't know if it would have been any easier being a walk-on redshirt freshman. It's hard. Mm -hmm. um, you learn, you know, being the weakest, smallest, youngest 
you know, these skilled person, they, that's just the reality. You know, you graduate from high school as a walk-on, and these men five, have four or five years on me, and they've lifted weights for four or five years. They practice their skills, and they know the system. There's no way around it. It's going to be challenging, but I think, you know, how you reframed your career here of, like, hey, man, this is, this is for the team, these for the girls. I'm going to show up and be my best in this way. I think there's a lot of different ways I could have reframed it. And what's amazing is, you know, like a lot of times people say dreams don't come true. Like, you know, it's only 1% of people play college sports. And I'm like, well, you and I hang out with those 1% every single day. Mm -hmm. Every one of my friends is one of those 1%. And mm -hmm. I think one of the common characteristics I see is that they have these expectations that that's what's going to happen. There was a research a study that I read in this book, and it talked about uh, they wanted to find out what how commitment equaled to skill acquisition. And they took all these kids that were new to playing an instrument, and they had them fill out a survey before they started playing the instrument. How long do you think you're going to play your instrument? And they put them into three different categories. People with low commitment said, I'm just going to play this year. People with a medium commitment said, I'll play through high school. And then high commitment people said, I'm going to play my instrument forever. And then they tracked their progress throughout the year, and then they did a test at the end. And what they found is when someone with a low commitment level practiced the exact amount of time as someone with high commitment, same amount of practice time, the high commitment people were 400% better. Wow. And so we look at, you know, my wife gives me a hard time. There's not too much pressure for Carter to talk about going to the NBA. And I think if that's his dream, if that's his goal, he's the same amount of practice time. Research would show he is 400% better than the person that's like, I'm dabbling in it. And I see it all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I go out and play in the staff softball game here in the next week or so, the amount of, I'm not going to get as good as if when I'm singing today mm -hmm. because I'm going to sing for the rest of my life and I love singing. This is important. That hour of practice is going to be a lot more valuable than the hour of softball practice where I'm like, ah, I don't know. I got one foot in. I'm just doing it because I want to be with my buddies. Right. So I just think that philosophy is so important. If I would have had that as a player, of, it's not even about the scholarship. Of course, I... I have a dream of playing professional basketball. And if I would have known then, well, I did play professional basketball. Enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. It's not about me being the best player today. That's what I tell my son too. Whether or not he played great or crappy in South Carolina, who cares who the best 15-year-old is? Yeah. What I do care about is did he have fun? Did he learn? Did we get to go to you know, uh, Chick-fil-A at 10 o'clock at night and get our favorite drinks, man? Did we to go to top golf like mm -hmm. all those fun things that are associated with it i think if he enjoys that experience he's going to stick it with it long enough to really get good yeah the illustration that is coming to mind is like if you have a pick and you're just chipping away at a rock you don't mm -hmm. see any dent oh, yeah. over and over and over and you can either live that whole time thinking this rock might never crack or like you said almost that expectation of like one day this will crack. And then it wasn't the one blow that cracked the rock. It was every single blow before that did. And I think that's a beautiful way to just look at your 
these goals, right? Like almost having this expectation, like this will happen. And if for some reason it doesn't, if for some reason you didn't get a scholarship or your son doesn't make the MBA, though at this rate, I don't know how that's possible. Um, I don't know how you walk away disappointed because you had this expectation. And like you said, in turn, you, you turn around and your hindsight is, the process is what was important. It really didn't matter if I achieved this said dream. It was the process that changed my life. And so I guess, what is your take on expectations? Some expectations, I think, are the cause of many of our greatest disappointments. Um, and disappointment comes when you have expectation. But it almost is as if you're saying, the people that have the expectations actually achieve these things. So talk me through your philosophy on expectations. Well, I would just say, you know, I love math. You know, I love, uh, you know, uh, philosophy and I love theory and I love practice and I love history. I love all of these things coming together to be able to make these really educated decisions and and expectations. And so I love that example of hitting the rock. You can't crack this rock with one hit. It's going to take 10,000 hits. And you see someone do it 10,000 times and it cracks. And you see this other person, other person. And you see a million people on the thousandth, it cracks. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, this is a truth, you know. And then you see all the other people that do it. 9,000 times and then they get tired and they stop and the rock never cracks and if they just would have done a couple more mm. you know and I've now I'm old enough to where I've seen that for 46 years and so it's not it's not a whole lot of guessing mm-hmm. it's like I'm a strength coach there's not a hoping wishing thinking praying that if someone gets under a bench press every week for four years they're going to get stronger at bench press I, I'm not guessing I'm like This is pretty damn close to a fact. Mm -hmm. You come in and you can bench press 100 pounds. Just bench press every single week for the next four years and you'll be benching 200 pounds before you leave. Mm -hmm. I I just know it because I've seen it time and time again. My point of this podcast or my philosophy that I want to teach my kids and I want to practice is it's it's not a a matter of... of, uh, um, It's not up for discussion of whether or not the rock's going to crack. The rock is going to crack. Are you going to enjoy the process? Mm-hmm. I could sit there like, this sucks. I hate every damn thing. Or it could be like, hey, bro, what's your favorite song? <laughs> Let's put on some John Mayer. Uh-huh. Let's see if we can tap to the rhythm. <laughs> okay, hit the rhythm. Now I'll hit the rhythm. And I'm just a big believer in doing it with your kids. Mm-hmm. I don't train my son. We train together. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't train my son in guitar. We play guitar together. Mm-hmm. And so I think it would be different if I'm like, you know, Carter, keep hitting that rock over and over. Keep hitting it. And I'm like, hey, you do 10. Let me let me do 10. Right. Let me work on that. Hey, man, see, I'm flicking that wrist. I get more power here. Mm-hmm. And we just have fun exploring it and going through it. And don't get me wrong. There are tough days for sure. But the vast majority of them are so good. And so, yeah, what's my idea of expectation is that rock is going to crack. Mm-hmm. And... You know, is there a chance it won't crack? Of course there's a chance it won't crack. But there is no chance, zero, that I'm not going to fulfill my commitment. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep going. And here's the thing is, 
if I'm going to do it, let's enjoy it. Yeah. Let's enjoy every second because really it's not even about the basketball Carter. It's about me and you being together. Right. It's not about the guitar. It's about you and me doing it together, you know. And so, yeah, I, I love that idea of setting big goals. And and we've talked about that. I told him, if you believe you're going to the NBA, I believe you too. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's so much out of our control. You get injured. You know, like, you don't play well at the right time. Uh, and maybe you play professional overseas. <laughs> maybe you, who, who knows? But whatever the case is, it doesn't change our, change our training program and that we're going to love every second of it. Yeah. Because if you don't like lifting weights and the, the way it makes you feel, then you probably don't want to be a, you probably don't want to be a basketball player. Mm-hmm. I interviewed someone on my podcast named Jess Walter. He's a unbelievable author. And I would love to have a, to write a book, you know. And he says something that just slapped me right straight in between the eyes. He said, everyone wants to be a writer, but most people don't want to write. Mm. And I thought, that's so true. What I want to do is I want to have a book on my shelf that I wrote or on Amazon that other people buy that makes me money. And people say, that's so cool. He wrote a book. I want to have the book. I don't want to write, though. I hate writing. Mm. And so most people, they want to play in the NBA, but they don't want to practice. Yeah. They don't want to, they don't want to meet with a mental performance coach. They don't want to go to bed at 10 o'clock at night. But if you love doing that stuff, mm-hmm. if you go to bed and you wake up, and you're like, man, I feel good. Mm-hmm. If you like eating healthy and you feel good and you look good, and so, yeah, I just think the expectations are like, of course, you're going to play in the NBA and we're going to train. And stuff happens. And yeah, maybe you have a career-ending injury next, next year. But man, how fun was that when we went to South Carolina and Phoenix and we got to play and you got to play against some of the best players in the world when you were 15. We didn't waste one second. Mm-hmm. And I think every philosophy is hard to execute. Might as well pick one that rings true and you're like, I'm going to enjoy this process. It's still going to take work. The other one is like some of the philosophies I've heard parents say, like, man, if you quit basketball when you're in high school, you've wasted. Or if you don't get a scholarship, you you know, if you are a walk-on, you failed. And I'm like, oh, boy, you put the same amount of work in, mm-hmm. but it's painful and it and it is lonely. I've had to learn that people's definition of success, not just in sports, being scholarship, but whatever that looks like, does not have to be my definition of success. And my definition of success is what matters and is important to me and the only thing I need to focus on fulfilling. Everyone's got to contribute what they can contribute Mm -hmm. on the team. And for some people on basketball, that is scoring, and some people it's rebounding, and some people it's defending. And Man, when I hear you talk about being a teammate, that might be the most important way to contribute on a team. And so, yeah, Drew Timmy left his mark one way, but so did Chet, mm-hmm. and so did John Stockton. Everyone's going to leave their own mark. And, boy, I would argue that the mark you're leaving is might be the most important mark because it's the one that carries on way after sports over. Mm. Thank you. And so, yeah, it's an honor to have you here as, as a Zag. Thank you. It's been quite a journey and it's been super hard and the hardest four years of my life but by far the most rewarding and you know I'm just so thankful to the coaches that even gave me a chance because I might have contributed to their team but man that team changed my life and changed the way that I will forever view 
being in hard hard places and and being in a very difficult situation where you're kind of at the bottom and you got to find a way to either sink or swim and it's definitely changed my life for the better so I'm so so happy to be a zag and forever will be but I wanted to just wrap up with two questions one you're in the season where it's really awesome but you still have to do the daily grind you're still training athletes so there definitely are things you have to deal with, the daily grind, if you will. So what do you do now? What tools are in your toolbox to get through the daily grind? Like what does Mike need to show up to work every day to make his commitments possible to live in this really, really good season and be happy? Yeah, I don't want to come off like as too goody two-shoes. Like everything is <laughs> always good, you know, because I for sure I have tough days and tough moments. But this happened about maybe you know 10 15 years ago I was uh, vacationing with my family and I love vacations because the first couple of days you're still like in the race and your mind's still thinking about all the stuff you have to do and then after about a week on the beach in Mexico like all those little daily things all those loose ends that maybe you did tie up or didn't tie up nothing to do about it now and you could start thinking big picture and I started thinking okay yeah, what does the next 10 years hold? You know, if I had all the money in the world, if I had a billion dollars, what would I want my schedule to be like? And what's really fun is when you're like, if I had all the money in the world, I would still be a strength coach for basketball. Hmm. You know, like, I don't want to just sit on my couch all day long. You know, of course I want to travel, but I don't want to travel 365 days of the year. I love being in Spokane. I love going to you know, trips to Hawaii or Mexico or South Carolina for sure. But how, what do I want to do, what I want to work on? And, and I really love nutrition. I love leadership. I love strength conditioning. And so that was a really interesting moment when I'm like, do your dream schedule. Well, some of the things I do not like about strength conditioning is I don't like working early in the morning. I don't like to wake up when it's 5 a.m. and cold and everyone in my house is sleeping and I'm tired. I like starting my schedule, my day a little bit later. And I do like other sports, but I don't know them very well. I don't know tennis or golf or volleyball, but I love basketball. And so at that moment, I'm like, man, at the time I was training multiple teams. I said, my dream job, if I had a billion dollars, what would I do? Well, of course I would go on vacations throughout the year and you know, I'd live in a nice house, well, all the material things, but what am I gonna do? And I thought, well, I just work with basketball. And I would do nutrition for them, and I work on leadership stuff. And I wouldn't do it, you know, like all the time. I wouldn't want to travel. And what's interesting is that's what I do now. And so, yeah, what's the daily grind? And I'm like, well, you know, like going to Hawaii. If you say, well, <laughs> God, I got to go to Hawaii, and I got to lay on the beach, and I got to surf, I got to eat at restaurants, and I'm like. That's all stuff you love to do, so is it a grind? Now, with that you know, being said, we had an athlete you know, tearing ACL, and I'm like, I wish I could transform that pain quicker because it's seriously weeks of me thinking, like, I don't know if I could do this job. You know, when we had a, one of our athletes tear, tear ACL last year, I wanted to quit, and I want to be like, I think I'm done being a strength coach. This is too much because I really care about this athlete and I don't know how to stop it. I've spent a lot of money and time and energy on continuing education on how to keep athletes healthy, how to reduce the chance for ACL tear. 
And when you don't have one for a year or two, you're like, I'm doing a great job. I have it figured out. And then someone tears an ACL and I just feel like a fraud again. And I'm like, she deserves better than me. She deserves a strength coach that's going to keep her safe. And so that's really tough. You know, we talk about being present. I'm not present. I'm like so stuck in the past and, you know, and so those are the tough days. But Wednesday at one o'clock, I'm like, there's no grind. It's so, it's just such a good thing to do. And it's, um, yeah, I love what I do. And I love digging deeper into it this weekend. I have the Michael Jordan of movement, whose name is Gary Gray. He runs the Gray Institute. He's flying from Michigan, and he's going to spend two full days with U-District Physical Therapy and our Gonzaga strength staff, athletic trainers, and we're all going to learn about the human body and how to reduce injuries, and it's continuing education. I'm going to be working on Saturday, but it's not work. Like, I'm so excited for Mm -hmm. this, and so I know your podcast is The Daily Grind, and I've gone through it, (laughs) but I would be lying if I didn't say, like, I don't think of it as a grind. Mm-hmm. Like I just, and I, I mean, look at me. I'm wearing my J's today. I get to hang out with you, people that inspire me and that I respect. I get to dig deeper into subjects that I'll never get to the bottom of. The human body is too mysterious, and this is, and this, there is no destination. Like, mm-hmm. man, in ten years, I'll know everything I need to know about the human body. In ten years, I might be one percent smarter than I am today. Mm-hmm. And it's just so fun to keep on learning. So. I think I might have been the worst guest on your podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's actually the best because one of our guests, Parker, her motto was protect your peace. And I think that kind of goes with what you said. You you said, what don't I like about my job? And slowly over time, you have come to this place where those things have slowly drifted. Of course, you can't change circumstance you can't walk in the door day one and say these are my demands but you've earned kind of this place to get to a point where you're like this would be ideal and in that way you're protecting your peace you're protecting your peace of mind and so you can go into this job and you love what you do but that took time kind of shaving away the things maybe you didn't like as much and protecting as much as you can of your peace. And so, of course, ACL injuries will still happen and some of these things will be hard, but you've gotten into an environment where your peace is protected for the most part. And I think that's ultimately maybe the solution to not looking at it like a grind is, am I using the minutes of every day to do something fulfilling for me or others? And it might not always be fun, but if that's the case, then is it really a grind? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I like that. And I do think for sure there are moments when you grind. And I think if I'm grinding more than I'm not, then I gotta, I gotta change something. And there mm-hmm. are things that you just cannot change. And unfortunately at this moment in time, you cannot prevent injuries. You know, at this moment in time, I can't say this is how you prevent ACL tears. We won't have any more ACL tears here. And so I have to look and say, is that something I can handle? Is that some, is that uncertainty something I can deal with? But there are so many things that are certain that I can mm-hmm. impact. And so I think the same thing with my son's training. You know, he wants to play in the NBA and he's 15. Okay, there are certain things you have to do. You know, you have to shoot, dribble, pass. You have to play against people that are better than you. You have to take care of your body. And if you don't like those things, okay, well, then we better find, mm-hmm. you know, but if you, if you like all those things, there's going to be certain things that 
are challenging that you that you know maybe we can get around, but other things you can't. So, yeah, I think that's probably a good way of saying it. If like when I'm in the grind, usually it's how fast can I transform my anxiety, my regret, my self doubt, and I think the way that I do that is through trusted mentors. My wife is unbelievable. I think speaking stuff out loud and being able to hear it, you know, because we have one philosophy, which is I suck. I'm a bad strength coach. I should have protected her. That's one philosophy. And there's another one we got to put on the table, which is, boy, I spent a lot of time, energy, and money, and I care so much about this athlete. And I did everything I knew how to do, and I'm not going to stop here. I'm going to continue doing mm-hmm. it. And injuries, unfortunately, do happen. And at least she has a strength coach that's not going to be satisfied with that statement. That's going to keep you know fighting for more knowledge and more application. There's another philosophy. My wife usually helps me with that mm-hmm. one because I'm not great when I'm in the moment of being able to dig myself out. But I think that's how I get through the grind is, you know, talking to trusted mentors, you know, true friends and having them share a better, a better roadmap for me. Yeah. Which is exactly why I created this podcast. So <laughs> Thank you so much for being on, and it has completely transformed even things I'm thinking about in my own life that I can pick a different philosophy because there's so many on the table, and I don't need to be picking the one that's the crappy one, which is what I feel like humans have a tendency to do. And so this has completely transformed the way I'm looking at my season, and I hope that for the people listening that this just revitalizes them and encourages them to make a commitment and to pursue their passions wholeheartedly like you and your son do and uh, keep hitting that rock because it will crack it's going to crack that's the expectations yes thanks so much thanks for having me